Good morning. My name is Tin. Uh, I'm doing the second Bible reading this morning. And it's Psalm 8, taken from the first book uh, of the Psalter. The title of this psalm is, How Majestic is Your Name? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foe, or still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the star which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly being, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand, and you have put all things under his feet, all ships and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever pass along the path of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the inspire, infallible, and inerrant word of God. Thanks, Tim, and thanks, uh, Mark. It'd be great if you could keep your Bible open. We'll work through Psalm 8. If you're a note taker, you'll also find an outline, uh, which might be helpful for you as well. Uh, my name's Ollie. I'm one of the ministers of our church, and it's great to be with you today as we continue our, our series in the Psalms. I'm looking forward to spending the next 28 years uh, doing it. But uh, how about I'll thank God for the time, so please uh, pray with me as we begin. Gracious High King of Heaven, uh, we praise your name, for you have given us your word. While the grass withers and the flowers fall, your word endures forever. May you work through it now to grow us in our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it that makes you, you? What is it that defines you? What is it that's at the core of who you are? For me growing up, it was being a twin. Uh, now, many of you might know that already, but I'm an identical twin. Uh, here's a few photos of me and my brother. Uh, that's us, obviously, as babies and then as, as younger kids. If you're trying to figure out which one of those is me and which one's my brother, uh, then don't bother. Even I don't know which one. I just know that one of those is me and one of them's not. Um, so... So that's, that's who I am. But growing up, that was a huge part of my identity. That was a huge part of what made me, me. Often when people thought about me, they thought of, oh, he's the twin. He's the identical twin. I wonder, what is it for you? What defines you? What makes you, you? I've got a friend who defines people based on their Myers-Briggs personality test. So you're familiar with that test. Basically, you answer a big bunch of questions, and then it tells you all these categories for who you are as a person. I'm an INTJ, and he's always sending me articles saying, oh, this is why you say what you say, or you have, why you think how you think. That's how he defines people. What makes people, people to him, are their results on that test. I wonder, what is it for you? Maybe it's your family identity. You're a father or a brother or an uncle, a mother or a sister or an aunt. Or maybe it's your job. You're a teacher or an engineer. You're a doctor or you're a stay-at-home mum. Or maybe it's something else, introvert, extrovert, loud or quiet, sporty or musical, 
What are you? What defines you? What makes you, you? Well, how we answer that question actually really matters because it shows us whether we've truly understood who we are. And if we want to live well, then we do need to understand who we are. And our psalm today actually answers that question for us. It tells us what defines us. It tells us at our core who we are. And it does it by comparing us to God. In Psalm 8, David shows us that we can't properly understand ourselves unless we understand ourselves in comparison to and connection with God. And that makes sense. As created beings, we can't understand ourselves unless we understand our Creator. And so that's why David both starts and ends with God. And so do you want to know what makes you? Do you want to know who you are at your core? Well, that's what we'll see today. And the first thing then you need to know about yourself is this. You are insignificant compared to God. That sounds like a bit of an abrasive thing to say, but that's what the psalmist says. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't try and spare our feelings. He just tells it how it is. And to make his point, he starts by showing us how great God is. Have a look at verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Now, our English there says, Lord, our Lord, but the Hebrew actually says, Yahweh, our Lord. And Yahweh is the special name for God. I recently heard about what Michael Jordan does. He has code names for all of the people around him for security purposes. And so the code name of one person is Venom. The code name of another is Butler. I don't know if you want that as your code name, but Butler. Another one is Harmony. But you know what his code name is for himself? Yahweh. That is his code name for himself and shows us a lot about perhaps what he thinks of himself. But God looks at that and God says, no. God says, I'm the one true Yahweh, the one true Lord of Lords, the truly majestic one. And that word majestic literally translates as great or, or glorious. And what David's saying here is that there's no place on earth that you can go where God's power and God's greatness and God's glory cannot be seen. God is greater than all because his name is majestic in all the earth. And we're then given uh, two further ways that we see God's majesty and glory. It's by no means an exhaustive list, but they're two helpful examples. The first is uh, we see God's uh, greatness in his strength and in his power. And in fact, he's so strong that he can even use little children to defeat his enemies. Have a look at verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now that is strong, to be able to use the words of kids and infants to make his enemy shut up. I mean, think about it. I've got a two and a half year old son, Levi, and he, I love him a lot. He's a great source of joy. But if someone was to break into my house at night, I can't hide in my bedroom and tell Levi, go out there and tell them to go away. If I tell them to do that, they're not going to listen. They're just going to laugh. It's too weak. Yet somehow, 
God is so powerful that he can use even such a powerless thing to defeat his enemies, to silence his foes. And that is true power, power that's far beyond what we are capable of. And then we also see God's greatness with the moon and the stars. Have a look at verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Now here we almost get a bit of a glimpse into the shepherd boy David. I'm sure there were countless nights. Well, he was tending his flock of sheep that he lay on his back in the rugged hills of Judea and he gazed at the stars and he wondered and marveled at how many there were. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just looked up at the sky and been overwhelmed by how many stars there are? There's so many, we can barely count them. And that's all there because of God. And in fact, uh, here's the Milky Way. So this is our uh, galaxy. That's the galaxy that Earth is in. And do you know how many planets there are in our galaxy, in the Milky Way? Well, astronomers don't know for sure but they estimate that there are at least 100 billion planets in just our Milky Way. But do you know how many other uh, galaxies there are like the Milky Way in the universe? They estimate around 125 billion, which means how many planets are there in the universe? Well, it's 125 billion times 100 billion. So that's a figure that's, that's too big to wrap our heads around. But let me put it this way. That means that there are more planets in the universe than there are grains of sand on Earth. So think of all the beaches here in Australia, Torquay and the Gold Coast and Bondi. And think of all our outback deserts that make up most of Australia. And think of all the beaches and the deserts around the world, Miami Beach and Sahara Desert. Think of all the mind-boggling amounts of pieces of sand there are across all of those deserts and those beaches, and yet there are more planets in the sky than there are grains of sand. It's an astronomical number of planets and stars, and they're all the work of God's finger. He has set them in place and he holds them in place. That is true power, true greatness. And when we look at that, we realize just how insignificant we are compared to God. And that's actually what the psalmist says. Have a look at verse four. When he considers all of that, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. See, compared to God, what are we? What are humans? We're nothing. Imagine going to St. Kilda Beach and finding a grain of sand, just picking up one grain of sand at random. And remember, there are more planets than grains of sand. Just one random grain of sand. That is what Earth is like to God. Just an insignificant piece of sand. And what are we then? Well, we are specks of dust on the grain of sand. We are one speck of dust amidst 7.9 billion other specks of dust on that grain of sand amidst billions of other grains of sand. So what are we? We're nothing. Isn't it conceited to think that God would pay attention to our planet when there are so many other planets out there? Do you see how insignificant this makes us compared to God? 
And so thinking back, what defines us? What makes me me? What makes, what am I? Well, I am insignificant compared to God. What are you? Well, you are insignificant compared to God. That is the harsh reality of the world. And if we want to truly know what makes us us, then we need to know we are completely and utterly insignificant compared to God. But does that mean then that I don't matter? That I'm just like a piece of chewing gum on the bottom of God's shoes? Well, no. Because even though we are insignificant compared to God, yet still we are so significant in the eyes of God. Not because we deserve it, not because we merit it, but simply because that is how God thinks of us, of me and of you. See, what makes you you, what defines you? Well, it's the fact that you are significant in the eyes of God. And we see that in how God has made us. Have a look at verse 5. You have made humans a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. See, God made you. You are the works of God's hand. And as such, God views you as so significant and so important. It's a a little bit like Michelangelo with the Sistine Chapel or Leonardo da Vinci with the Mona Lisa. That's what you are like to God. You are the work of God's hands, his creation, his, his artwork. Have you ever realized that about yourself? You are God's handiwork. And that's why, at least in part, God values you so much because he made you and he formed you. And what did he make and form you like? a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. In other words, we are exceedingly special. And in fact, according to Genesis 1.27, humans are made in the image of God. More than any other animal or creature, we reflect and we represent God. And that is special. See, it's not that we are special simply by being, but rather that God has made us special. So even though you are insignificant compared to God, you are so, so significant in the eyes of God because he's made you. And that specialness is particularly shown in what we're made for. Did you see what it says? Us humans are made to rule. Have a look at verse six. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. God has put everything under our feet. You are made to rule, and that shows just how significant you are. And then in verses 7 to 8, we see what we're to rule over. Have a look. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim, the paths of the seas. See, God made us rulers over all of creation. And the language here used is so similar to Genesis 1. We had it in the great uh, kids' talk earlier today, but this is what Genesis 1, 28 says. God blessed humanity and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Just see how similar that is to our psalm. As humans, we're made to rule over this world. And that actually comes with great responsibility then. We should be good and faithful stewards of the beautiful creation that God has given us. 
And as rulers, in God, made in God's image, it means that we are more special than animals. And that's why human life is actually more important than animal life. And deep down, I think we all realize this. Even those who like to say that humans are no, nothing more than an animal. Peter Singer is a great example of that. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's an atheist philosopher, and he basically believes that humans are no, or says that he believes humans are no more special than animals. And in fact, that some animals have more worth than some humans. And it's tied with the, the kind of cognitive development of people and of humans. But what's horrifying about Peter Singer is he's actually quite consistent with his belief and what his worldview says, and he takes things to their logical conclusion, and that means he's in favor of killing babies up until, uh, up until a year or so old. He's in favor of killing some with mental disabilities, and he's in favor of euthanasia for those who have dementia. And all of that kind of makes a brutal kind of sense if humans are no different to animals, if we are no more special than animals, if we are just a speck of dust on a grain of sand. But you know what happened? His mum actually got Alzheimer's. And rather than say to her, you are just an animal, and then have her killed off, he instead paid for her expensive medical care. And he was asked in an interview, and he said, this is what he said, it's different when it's your mum. That was his quote, that's what he said. And it shows that deep down, we all actually realize there is something special about humans. Even those of us who try to say that humans are no different to an animal, deep down know that humans are far more significant than just a speck of dust on a grain of sand. And that specialness comes from God. So even though you are insignificant compared to God, you are so, so significant in the eyes of God. I wonder, have you ever felt really insignificant and unimportant? Have you ever felt like you don't matter to anyone and that no one would miss you if you were gone? In fact, maybe that's what you're thinking and feeling right now. As you sit there today, maybe you are thinking, I am worthless, unimportant, irrelevant. Well, if that's what you're feeling today, then hear the incredible truth of this psalm. You are so significant in the eyes of God. He cares so, so deeply about you, so much so that he made you in his image to rule over the world. Uh, this is Levi, my son's bunny, and he loves this bunny. This is his favorite toy. He won't go to bed unless he's got the bunny there, which makes a problem if you lose the bunny, but he loves this bunny, and the bunny's worth nothing. Like, what's it worth? I mean, it was worth a couple of dollars when it was made, and now, years later, it's worth nothing. He's got far more valuable, far more expensive items. He's got a bike. He's got lots of blocks and toys that are far more valuable. And yet, that is the thing that is most precious, most special, most valuable to him. He treasures it so deeply. And in one sense, that's what you are like to God. His dearly loved handiwork. But of course, far more special than just a bunny to a toddler. You are the work of God's hands and he treasures you so, so deeply. That is who you are. That is what defines you. That is what makes you, you. See, as humans, we're special because we're made special by God. 
But about now you might be sensing a bit of a problem because we look around the world and we think about our own experience and we realise that actually things aren't as they should be. Everywhere we look around the world, we see that our rule has gone wrong. We have this enormous sense of significance, but everywhere we fail to fulfil our potential. We can outthink animals, but we use that to destroy the habitat that we both need and to eradicate whole species. We can cure diseases that would have killed our grandparents, and yet we cause poverty and war and famine. See, are we still only a little bit lower than the angels? Or did we throw it all away with our failures, with our rebellion against God? Well, to answer that question, we need to go to what was our first Bible reading today. We want to go to where the New Testament quotes this psalm and talks about this psalm and actually shows us the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. So uh, keep your finger here, but flip over with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 2. Verses nine, 5 to 9. Now, Hebrews, sometimes we hear that and we assume that's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. And the author here quotes our psalm. And as he does, he shows how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. So have a look at it with me. Start in verse 5. It is not the angels that God has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there's a place where someone has testified. He's obviously forgotten it's Psalm 8, but it's Psalm 8 where someone's testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Do you see that's an exact quote of our Psalm? And he then now goes on to explain what it means. Verse 8, in putting everything under them, that is, under us, under humans. God left nothing that is not subject to humans. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to humans, which is exactly what we've said so far, that we don't see this ultimately fulfilled yet. And then now the key, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. And let me explain how, uh, what he's talking about. Uh, let me walk you through it. So here's God. And God is king. And God will always be king. And God will always rule. And then he made us as humans just a little bit lower than him. We were made in his image, we were made special. But of course, then in Genesis 3, we see the fall. Humans rebelled against God's goodness, humans sinned, and so we, uh, we were subject to the fruitlessness and the struggle that comes because of that. And then here is Christ, and he's equal in every way with God, the Son of God, equal in every way. Yet for our sake, He was made just a little bit lower to represent us as humans. But then, of course, what happened according to the author of Hebrews and according to history? Well, the cross happened. And on the cross, Jesus tasted death. Jesus suffered and died for our sake. 
But that's not the end of the story, of course, because then the resurrection happened. And now Christ is back in his rightful place, equal with God, ruling forever, everything under his feet. But because of that death and resurrection, we too can now be restored back to our rightful place, back to rulers made in the image of God. See, it's because of the death and resurrection of Christ that he will rule, but also that we will be restored back. That is what Christ did. He was made a little lower for our sake, tasted death, suffered and died, so that by so doing, he might remove the sin and the guilt of us, God's creation. And so now all of creation is under Christ's feet, the perfect man, who fulfilled this psalm perfectly so that we too might be raised back to the place we were. And so what that means is that our true fulfillment is found in the Son of God who lived and died and rose again in our place. So if you want to know who you are, if you want to know what makes you, you, what defines you, then this is the answer it has to be. Someone made in the image of God who's trusted in Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you. Because only true satisfaction and, and, and fulfillment, that only comes, satisfaction and fulfillment only comes through Jesus. You are only truly fulfilled in the Son of God. So if you want true fulfillment, then he's the only one who can give it to you. See, our world says we can get fulfillment in money or in career, or in relationships, or in social acceptance, but that is a lie. The only way we can be truly fulfilled is in the Son of God, because He's the only one who offers us what we were made for, a life of ruling underneath God, a life of living to serve our Creator, the one who thinks we are so, so special and significant, even though we're so worthless and insignificant compared to Him. And so then what is it that makes you, you? What is it that defines you? Oh, this psalm tells us. And what it offers is far greater than what the world can offer. It offers us an identity that will never disappear from under our feet. Just think about it with me. If my identity, if what makes me, me, is for example my work, if it's being an engineer or being a teacher, then that's all well and good when that is going well when I'm succeeding at being an engineer or a teacher, when I'm succeeding at work, but what about when it doesn't? What if I lose my job? What if I'm facing stress at work and my boss is unhappy with me? See, if that happens and that's what my identity is tied in, then that can be crushing. It can be devastating. My whole identity can be washed away in an instant. Or what about if, if my with what it feels like in my identity, what makes me, me, is being married. Well, that might seem okay while my marriage is going well, but what about when it hits a tough time? What if I were even to get divorced? What if my partner were to die? If that's what my identity is tied in, then suddenly my identity is washed away. It's destroyed. It's gone. See, if our identity is in anything else, then it is an identity built on sand 
that can wash away in an instant. But if my identity is built on being worthless compared to God, and yet so deeply valued by God, then that is an identity that won't shift and change no matter what. That will stay my identity no matter what else might be happening. When we're impressing our boss at work or when we're getting along with friends and family, when we're having academic or sporting achievements, when we're feeling like our life is moving forward, then that is still my identity. My identity is still tied with God. And when things don't go so well, then that is still my identity. My identity still lies in being loved and treasured by God. And maybe that is you today. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe it feels like what you've tied your identity in is washed away. Maybe you're struggling in your friendships and in your relationships. Maybe you're out of work or feeling dissatisfied with work. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by your studies. See, when you're in the downs of life, the troughs that we all go through, the knowing about our identity, knowing where we can find true fulfillment is such a tremendous comfort. And that is the hope that this psalm offers. It says that no matter what you might feel, you are deeply loved and valued by God. Value that's not deserved, but imparted. That is your identity. That's what makes you, you. And so today, take heart, take heart that that is who you are. For even though you are so insignificant compared to God, yet you are still so significant in the eyes of God. But don't stop there. Remember that you are only truly fulfilled in the Son of God. And so I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we look at the stars in the sky. We think of the, the billions and billions of planets and stars out there. And we marvel at your power. We marvel that this is who you are, that you are so tremendously majestic and glorious. And then we think about who we are, just a speck of dust on a grain of sand. And we wonder, what, a, what is man that you would care about us? Father, would you help us to have the right perspective of ourselves compared to you? Would you help us to realize that we are nothing compared to you? But would you also give uh, such comfort to know that even though that is what we deserve, still in your kindness and in your mercy and in your grace, you have imparted on us a significance far beyond that worth, that we are deeply treasured and valued by you. Uh, would you be comforting us today, reminding us of that truth and lifting us up when we feel down? Would you help us to build our identity on that, an identity that won't wash and fade away in the tough times of life? And finally, we thank you for Jesus, the one who truly fulfilled this psalm, the perfect man who was lowered for our sake, died for our sake, and then rose that we might have life. And we thank you for him, and may you help us to find our identity in him and realize that he is the only spot we can be truly fulfilled. It's in his name we pray. Amen.